the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And we've got some ground to cover. It's still Monroe Doctrine Week. Monroe Doctrine Week. We're still talking about the Monroe Doctrine, how important it is, what is happening. Um, And I want you to be encouraged on Saturday, December 2nd, 2023, it will be the 200th anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine. I hope you get a chance to celebrate. I hope you have a chance to uh, to gather with your loved ones and uh, and get a cake uh, or something like that and uh, go ahead and celebrate. And here's the thing. Uh, remember, the Monroe Doctrine is as valid today as it has as it is at any time in history. I was looking at some of the references one of the fears back in the time of Monroe was the way that the European uh, mercantile system, the way they were uh, moving forward. We had a property rights based uh, uh, system. We didn't want to have other systems come over and cause uh, problems and uh, including things like um, uh, monarchies where we have a republic, um, but also the mercantile system. And so it was one of the factors we did not want European mercantilism control of the markets in a particular way uh, to dominate and to take away from uh, what we were doing. So that was the, um, the, uh, uh, one of the reasons that the that the um, uh, Monroe Doctrine was promulgated, when you look back at why John Quincy Adams, who was then Secretary of State, uh, and of course, President Monroe, why they were doing what they were doing, there was one aspect of it that's sort of famous now. Um, there was a debate amongst the powers that be whether it should be a joint statement. Not just an American statement, but also the British. The British, you know, we, they were our close, they were our um, adversary in uh, the war, but they were our, um, you know, close relative in terms of trade and in terms of so language, obviously. And so there was this idea that people said, hey, maybe it should be a joint statement uh, with the British foreign minister at the time, who was named George Canning. Um, and he had already said that they should um, do some sort of statement. In fact, there's British historians who say George Canning was the one who really came up with the idea and should be given more credit for it. But he was suggesting that the Americans, both the nations say uh, we want no interference in Central and South America. But it was John Quincy Adams who said, you know, why would we go bilateral? Uh, This is about each of the nation's sovereignty. Each nation who's saying, hey, we have a we don't want our uh, sphere of influence uh, infiltrated and uh, impacted. And so this is how we're going to do it. So uh, a great history there. All right. One aspect of this 
that I want to highlight, and it's very important. The aspect is this, that in the actual text of the document, in the words of the of the uh, Monroe Doctrine, the the the, uh, uh, the, the, the um, message to Congress that uh, Monroe sent over his seventh State of the Union address. I don't think they used it uh, the term as the State of the Union, but it was a text that they he sent over to the Senate and the House. It, it was not a uh, delivered speech. It was something he sent over. But in the in the uh, text of the Monroe Doctrine speech in the State of the Union speech, he referred to the fact that we did not get involved in the business of European, of the European powers. And he was very clear in describing that, you know, we, we have lots of commercial intercourse with uh, other nations. We want that. We obviously want that in a big way, but that we left you, each of the nations and Europe to itself. We did not get involved in the wars that were there. And there would have been invitations for wars. And think about this. We, America, independence in large part, America's independence was a, 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 the, one of the big factors was the fact that the French finally came in to do a, a, a blockade that the French. And so now we're, you know, that's that 17, uh, late 1770s. And now, uh, what, 35, 45 years later, we're, we're having this experience where the Americans are saying and the American government is saying, look, we have not been we've been tr they tried to pull us into these wars. We have not been pulled into the wars. We have not picked sides. We have not thought it was in our best interest to do anything in those European nations. In fact, because we're focused on our own interest, on the interest of our people, that that is the overriding force uh, in this uh, time. And that is why we're saying stay out of our neck of the woods. But we're also saying to you, we're, we're staying out of your neck of the woods. We're, we're not coming into Europe and trying to now, it, obviously, kind of easier, right? We didn't, we didn't see Europe as a particularly beneficial place to uh, try to fight wars and gain lands. We were, our nation was growing in the, in the 20 years after um, 1804, which was the, uh, when the, um, uh, the Louisiana Purchase was finalized, uh, 18, 1804, you had vast expansion of America right towards the west and we didn't need we would never think of we weren't worried about trying to expand in other parts of the world it just wasn't we weren't our mindset was on what we had where we were and it was in part because we were insulated by the two oceans as we've talked about before so my point is the monroe doctrine was very clear that we do not uh want to be um there here's the language exact language in the wars of the european powers in in matters relating to themselves, we have never taken any part, nor does it comport with our policy so to do. So let me say that again. The citizens of the United States cherish sentiments, uh, cherish sentiments the most friendly in favor of liberty and happiness of their fellow men on that side of the Atlantic, Europe. And then it says, in the wars of the European powers in matters related to themselves, we've never taken any part, nor does it comport with our policy so to do. And here is the, the, the kind of phrase, the sentence that hammers it home. Because I'm going to tell you, this Monroe Doctrine and its validity is all about putting American interests first, having a sense of your own citizens' well-being before other people. Here's what the Monroe Doctrine says. It is only when our rights are invaded or seriously menaced 
that we resent injuries or make preparation for our defense. You see that? If you're a, if you're a jerk and you're not nice to your neighbors in Europe, Monroe is saying, well, we don't like it, but we only get ramped up for our defense when it impacts our rights or we're seriously menaced and injured. So right after that, by the way, is the next line that's so uh, so powerful with the movements in this hemisphere. We are of necessity more immediately connected and by causes which must be obvious to all enlightened and impartial observers. In other words, we're not getting involved in Europe. That's your business. We're not getting involved in Europe. That's your business. But when it comes to what's happening in our hemisphere, that's our business because we're impacted, not because we care, not because we care necessarily about Latin America, although we might. That's not the reason. The reason is because our rights, our prosperity, our possibilities of success are impacted. Now, at that time in history, it was even more it, it was more important than it is even today than who your neighbors were and what was happening in the in the neighboring uh, nations. But you can make a pretty good argument today that the sovereignty of America with an open border on the South or even an open border on the North, but or a, an immigration system that is not a system, but it's just an open uh, border is a major threat. In fact, you could make the argument that if, if the immigration policy of the Southern border was being directed by foreign nations, in other words, if you could prove that the cartels were controlled by China, and there's some evidence that the cartels make a lot of money off of fentanyl, then you could say, oh, yeah, OK, we can't have these foreign powers in our backyard. And I think we would be right to do that. In fact, if you want me to, to, to finish this, we've got just a couple minutes left. The Monroe Doctrine is the origins of America first, that we put our people's interest we put our nation's interest first. We doesn't mean we don't have affection for, even value other the other nation's interests, but they're secondary to ours. And insofar as someone says, fight another war in Europe, no thanks, unless it impacts our rights or causes serious injuries to us, then we would prepare for our defense. And if the cartels are being controlled and subsidized and funded by the communist Chinese regime, which is there's indications to think so, then we ought to take them down as a matter of national security, not just as a matter of policy preference, as a matter of national security of our defense, because the, we, the preparations of our defense begin, according to the Monroe Doctrine, when we have see our rights impacted or we're seriously, seriously injured. Seriously menaced is the word. So the Monroe Doctrine it's the origins of America first. And it's the reason why we should have a secure border. The Monroe Doctrine, the reason John Kerry, Secretary of State under Obama, and Obama wanted to put it to, to bed is because the globalists want you to be a citizen of the world and all citizens of the world are worthy of our defense. And Monroe Doctrine and every conservative I know says, um, we got to put America first. All right, we got to run. We got to uh, take a break. Ed Martin here on the Pro Mark Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Dr. An- excuse me, Dr. Andrew Boston. And uh, one of his colleagues or team members sent me an email and said, you know, this is a really good topic to talk about. And I, w- I caught, caught my eye right away. Um, the legacy of Islamic anti-Semitism. And uh, with all that's going on in the world right now, and especially the Middle East, understanding the background here is important. So uh, welcome uh, to you, uh, Dr. Boston. Thank you for taking the time uh, and for uh, being out and about on this topic. Uh, you are, have written a couple of books on the on the question of jihad, Islamic uh, uh, Islamic anti-Semitism. Uh, and so thank you. So welcome to the program. How are you? Thanks for having me on, Ed. So how bad is this problem? I mean, it's one thing. It's one thing. Um, we see uh, pure hatred. And somehow that feels different than anti-Semitism. In other words, uh, it, it, it get the get the Jews out of existence. You hear from Hamas and others, uh, but the the it's a broader question of of functioning amongst people and having uh, a bias against them. Maybe you don't want to destroy them completely, but so tell me what what the extent of the problem is and 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 sort of how you see it. Yeah. So so. Um... The one thing and probably the only thing that the ADL does well at this point, it's, you know, it's basically a hijacked, hard left organization. But they did develop an instrument for assessing uh, anti-Semitism um, uh, back in the early 2000s. It went through a couple of iterations, but essentially it, all, all it is. And, and the reason it, it, it's so elegant is that it's, it, it just confronts the respondent with 11 classic and modern anti-Semitic uh, stereotypes and then ask them how many they agree with. And if they agree with uh, the majority of them, so at least six out of the 11, then they get classified as having, um, and I think the definition is appropriate, um, uh, extreme anti-Semitism. And then the, and the ADL has gone around the world administering this instrument in you know, local languages. Um, and everywhere they turn, despite, despite their, it's hysterical almost, if it wasn't so sad, that they, when they issue their press releases about the results of all these surveys that they've been doing for over 20 years now, um, they always hide what the, what the, what the, the salient finding is, which is that it is overwhelmingly, uh, a Muslim problem. If you look at the 16 most anti-Semitic countries in the world, uh, they're all in the Middle East and North Africa. And the prevalence, the commonality of this degree of anti-Semitism ranges from 74 to 93 percent. And of course, you know, the dubious prize winner uh, is uh, is found in, in on the West Bank and Judea, Samaria and Gaza amongst the Palestinian Muslims. But now uh, over the years, what's happened and what's what's increasingly alarming is that with the with the movement of Muslim populations into uh, Western societies, Western Europe, uh, even the United States, I'll give you some of those data. Right. Um, the, the, you're, you're seeing the same phenomenon. This 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 absolute disproportionality of Jew hatred amongst the Muslim population. So, for example, in the latest iteration that ADL did after after COVID, they took a hiatus for COVID. Um, at the end of 2022, they completed the survey that at least in Belgium and France included the Muslim subpopulations. And already in France, it was up to 62% that had this degree of anti-Semitism amongst the Muslims. And in Belgium, it was in the low 50% range. But wow. you have to remember that despite, you know, Western Europe's own heritage of, of anti-Semitism, uh, the background rate amongst the, amongst the Christians in those countries was 15 to 20%. So, you know, again, two to three to fourfold greater than what you see 
uh, amongst non-Muslim populations. The only time the survey was ever administered in this country, which included a Muslim uh, subpopulation, was in 2017. And, you know, this is a much more philo-Semitic country. So the background rate was about 14 percent amongst non-Muslims. Amongst Muslims, it was already up to 34 percent. And that, that those are already old data. Uh, we're again, we're talking with uh, Dr. Andrew, uh, 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 Andrew, um, hold on a second. I'm looking for my notes here. I just wrote something down that I wanted to quote. like the city, except with an M at the end. No, no, I know that I'm, I'm looking. I had a question. Here's here's my question. Your book. Uh, sorry, Dr. Andrew Boston. Um, and the book is Legacy of Anti uh, uh, Islamic Anti-Semitism. So Islam teaches is what, one of the points that here is Islam actually teaches, fosters anti-Semitism. Is it true or is it sort of a stereotype that at various times in history, early on, maybe that the Christian uh, churches taught anti or, or, or encouraged anti-Semitism? And is there any and I think I think most Christians uh, would that are uh, uh, true believers. I happen to be one would say that's misplaced. It's it's not appropriate. But but, it, but in other words, you if there were people that were you know misguided in history, they got through it. And the the, con, the the comparison is Islam. Islam, it, it's not something that you grow out of. It's actually part of the the the, the a- actual teaching. I mean, I think that. Am I overstating that? No, no, you're not overstating. It. I would say so. Look, so there was there was a very little strain of Christian anti-Semitism. Certainly, certainly, you know, through the through the Middle Ages. Um, and, but, but it's, it's hard, it, it, it's, it's harder to find it in the texts themselves. It was, it was readily apparent in the writings of the church fathers, et cetera. Over a long, just, just to cut to the chase, over a long period of time, so leading up to World War II and then certainly post World War II, there was, there was a, uh, a movement within the church. This is what's so unique within the church to get rid of those teachings, and that ultimately resulted in, in the Vatican II Nostra Aetate process, which acknowledged that there had been this anti-Semitic tradition and largely expunged it. Um, and actually, that that actually spread out to, to you know, not just the, to, 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 to Catholics, amongst amongst all kinds of Christian denominations. Um, Islam has never gone through that process. And in fact, the texts themselves, the Quran, the traditions of Muhammad, the sacred biographies of Muhammad, are rife with anti-Semitic themes uh, that are really in your face. I mean, even something as, you know, you may have even heard this, where Jews are referred to as apes or apes and pigs. That literally comes out of the Quran in three separate verses. Um, and it's, and, and the other problem, Ed, that's very different with Islam is that institutional Islam, mainstream Islam, not Al Qaeda Islam, not Hamas right. Islam, not ISIS Islam, right. is still teaching this very Jew-hating theology, including institutions like Al-Azhar University, which you know President Obama visited early in his in his presidency and extolled for its uh, its its learning, which you know in, in Islamic circles it is it is like the Vatican of Sunni Islam. But he also extolled it for their tolerance, and that is completely absent from Al-Azhar University. Um, in fact, that on October nineteenth, Al-Azhar University issued a fatwa, a religious edict, that said that that the the Jews of Israel are basically um uh, uh, uh including non-combatants are legitimate targets of jihad of the kind of quote unquote resistance wow. that wow. that Hamas right. waged you you would yeah. you would be hard pressed to find anything remotely like that uh you know over the past 500 years from from the church uh, you know it's it, so it's really it's really quite different even though even though yeah i mean there's a lot of polemic between religions and there, you know, there have, have been, um, you know, there has been in, 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 the, in the distant past, virulent anti-Semitism that came, came out of, certainly out of the Catholic Church. 
um, there's been a there's been a mea culpa and a and a and a and a, um, a, a reanalysis of, of of the sources of that kind of anti-Semitism, and Islam has yet to undergo that process. Well, and and, my, and one argument might be that it's not possible. I mean, and 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 I'm, by the way, Dr. Andrew Abostum, uh, his book, The Legacy of Islamic Anti-Semitism, uh, updated a couple of years ago, um, from the sacred text to solemn history, uh, a good resource on this. Um, to finish on that, I've been talking all week, uh, Dr. Boston, about, and I should say, by the way, because I like to do this because my wife is an MD. He's a, he, uh, I'll be careful. He's a real doctor, uh, an MD as opposed to a, another doctor. I'll get, I just got, I'm, I'm retired now, Ed, but I was, yes. <laughs> I got it. I got, just got in trouble with everybody, a PhD that wants to be called doctor, starting with Dr. Joe Biden. But, um, but here's my final uh, question and just have a, uh, a minute or, or, or so left. I, I have been talking this week about the Monroe Doctrine and the Monroe Doctrine, 200 years old is, um, basically said at that time, uh, Monroe said, you can't bring into our country certain systems, political systems that are not compatible with our flourishing as a republic. It seems to me, I've argued that the communist Chinese uh, system is not, it's not compatible with America. I'm not sure that the Islamic system is compatible with America. Again, maybe too far, but it's close. Well, the, the Sharia Islamic law based system is clearly incompatible. And that's been recognized by uh, Supreme Court uh, justices like like uh, like Justice Jackson, who served on the Nuremberg Tribunal. Um, you know, if Muslims are willing to uh, and 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 uh, certainly immigrants to this country have been, uh, you know, if they're willing to abide by you know constitutional law, you know, it's it's not a problem. It's right. it's it's when it's when they see in a in a in a devout religious context uh, that they want to impose the Sharia, then of course it's completely incompatible. Yeah. All right, Dr. Boston, unfortunately, I'm out of time. And we'll take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in uh, with David Horowitz. Uh, He is a prolific author, um, legendary, really, uh, activist and an author. um, And his new book is The Radical Mind, The Destructive Plan of the Woke Left. Um, There's almost nobody better with about, um, I don't know, 50, 60 years of active uh, engagement with the left has started out on that side of the aisle and uh, came across. And again, the book is Radical Mind, Destructive Plan of the Woke Left. Welcome uh, back, David Horowitz, New York Times bestselling author of many, many books. How are you, sir? I'm okay. Um, so, David, before we get into the book, but I think it overlaps, um, do you, when you see the forces, arrayed now in opposition to Trump. And let, let me just uh, uh, let's just assume for the argument he gets the nomination. They can't let him win. Right. I mean, that's part of the destruction. They just have to stop it, don't they? Yep. Yeah, it's life and death for them. And, yeah. And it's personal, too, because they're all criminals. When I say all, I mean, the leadership of the Democrat Party. So they all know that they're, you know, they're going to go to jail if he gets elected. So they have powerful incentives to fix the election, which they're very good at and uh, which Republicans are really poor 
Um, Do you, yeah, we're talking, we're talking with David Horowitz. Do you think in the book is, uh, uh the radical mind, uh, the destructive plans of the, of the woke left? Um, I have heard recently, David, the people say the woke movement has, um, sort of, um, slowed. It's, it's, uh, even people say, oh, you know, it's petering out. I, I assume based on your book, you don't think that's right at all. That even if you think people, people. Well, think- not based on my book. All I have to do is turn on the news. <laughs> Our universities are Nazi organizations now. And I use that word advisedly. They, they have all these young people brainwashed to support uh, a second Holocaust. Um, my book is a lot, uh, The Radical Mind is a lot about how leftists think or don't think. How How is it that we have this generation and it's massive? I mean, let's, let's not um, ignore the actual threat. It's massive that... Um, supports a Nazi agenda, which is the extermination of the Jews. Uh, probably the most unthinkable result, um, possible. Um, what could, what could be worse than reviving the Nazi virus in our, uh, educational system and in our streets? And you know, there are going to be terrorist attacks because Biden uh, I, I can't say enough about Joe, uh, what a reprehensible person Joe Biden is, but he's opened our borders. Uh, so we have 8 million people here who are unvetted. Um, and if you were the head of a terrorist operation, what would you not, how could you resist being t- taken, taking advantage of this situation? So I see very dark days ahead. Uh, my book, yes, my book, The Radical Mind, is really how radicals think. People who have never been ideologues, uh, and that's conservatives generally, right. have a very hard time understanding radical thought process. Hmm. Um, and so their reactions are, this is crazy. This is, you know, surreal. It's out of touch with reality. Um, Chuck Schumer, for whom I have very little, no respect, actually. But he gave a speech today because the Democrat Party is threatened uh, by by the divisions over the over supporting Hamas. And uh, what he did was he went through the facts of how Israel was created and how the Jews have been persecuted for thousands of years and so forth. And this, I guarantee you, fell on deaf ears among young people who've been been to Harvard. This is the way the left thinks. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking with David Horowitz, uh, the author of, uh, the new book, The Radical Mind. He's, of course, a, uh, uh, New York Times bestselling author. And I should have said at the beginning, he's the founder and CEO of the David Horowitz Freedom Center out in California, has some great people on his team that do a great job. The book is The Radical Mind, The Destructive Plans of the Woke Left. Okay. Then, then let, let me, let me, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Here's the way the left think, doesn't think. The left formulates an abstraction. In this case, colonial settler. The Jews are colonial settlers. Right. Um, 
The minute you hear that, if you're a leftist, you're, you know what side you're on. You're on the side of the resistance and the liberation movement from occupiers. Um, there, there's no reality whatsoever to that, that, that claim. It's a complete fiction. When Israel was created, there were no Palestinians. There was no people in the Middle East calling themselves Palestinian. The, the, the national identity Palestinian was invented in 1964. Israel was created in 1948. The Palestine Symphony in 1948 was a Jewish symphony. Palestine is not even an Arab word. It's a Roman, it's a Latin word. And the, the Roman Empire imposed it on this area, which was the homeland of the Jews. That's the West Bank, uh, today and Samaria. That's the, they're the indigenous people there. Um, the Roman Empire imposed this term, uh, Palestine as uh, a derivative of Philistine. The Philistines were enemies uh, of the Jews. Uh, And the Arabs just picked it up a thousand years later um, to use it uh, as a weapon because everybody's on the side of self-determination, anti-colonial, and resistance to oppression. but in 1948, Israel was was created also, you hear this occupied Palestine crap. This is completely, right, complete right. fiction. D- D- David, David Horowitz, our guest. David, i got two minutes left. I want to ask you this question. Right. You, mentioned, you, you mentioned earlier, can you hear me? Um, yeah. You, you mentioned earlier that uh, people who have not been ideologues or in an ideology or, or, or kind of uh, extreme can't understand the mindset. Here's my question. Do, are too many Americans uh, too too far from that reality to get mobilized? I mean, one of the problems is if you don't think it's an existential threat, when, you don't. When you invite 8 million unvetted, right. Right. you know there's going to be consequences. And there have been. That's why Biden's poll ratings are so low. I think most people understand that Biden is a traitor. That you don't take for twenty or fifty million dollars, however much it is, distributed among your family and yourself, uh, and and sell out to China and other enemies of the United States. There's a, there's two sides. You don't get. $20 million payments for nothing. And if the something is legitimate, you don't hide it behind 20 right. shell corporations right, right. to hide the identity. It's so obvious how guilty this man is. He makes Benedict Arnold look like a Boy Scout. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, David Horowitz, unfortunately, goes so fast. We're out of time. The book is The Radical Mind. The Destructive Plans of the Woke Left by David Horowitz, of course, a New York Times bestselling author of many books, including The Final Battle, The Next Election Could Be the Last. Human X Books is the uh, publisher, and uh, he, of course, is the founder and the leader of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Thanks, David, for the time. Thank you, Ed. All right. Yep, we'll we'll take a break, and I'll put all those links up on social media. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. He's an extraordinary guy and uh, has an extraordinary breadth of experience 
uh, his um, his frontpagemag.com, the website for his Freedom Center, is extraordinary. Two great writers over there. Uh, but these books are powerful, and it's amazing that he keeps uh, uh, pumping them out um, almost every year uh, and uh, and explaining what's happening so well. So, Dave Hall, it's uh, great to have him on again. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a minute. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Vigilant and loving parents protect their children from a world that seeks to corrupt them. Liberals scorn the idea that there are forces out there seeking to take the innocence of children. But I can't help but wonder why. We all hear and accept the platitude that children are our future. So is it really so hard to believe that something as valuable as the future of our society would be sought after by those with ill intent? Many headlines have been given to parents who express concern about graphic books in our libraries. The liberal publication Slate published a telling article by a liberal father of two named Eamon Ismail, who went on a quest to see what all the hype was about. He went to his local library counter and requested a book called It's Perfectly Normal by Robin Harris. According to Ismail's narrative, the librarian's eyes widened when she recognized the cover, and she warned the father, I've seen this one before. It's like really, really detailed, like very graphic. Undeterred, Ismail obtained a copy and took it home to read for himself. What he discovered was shocking. The book was fraught with detailed, fully nude pictures of people doing sexual acts, all under the guise of sex education. Even this progressive writer, Ismail, was forced to admit, the images are graphic, and it's startling to me to think they're intended for kids who aren't even in middle school yet. But before you go ahead and think that Slate is joining the conservative bandwagon, this is where Ismail brought in quotes from a so-called sex educator, Melissa Pinto Carnegie. Carnegie assured the readers that it's a good thing for elementary students to see graphic images of sex acts. After all, she reasoned, it's better that they find these images in educational books than out on the Internet. This sloppy reasoning is exactly why parents should reject these phony experts and their bad advice. Pornography is bad for kids, no matter how you justify it, and only parents can protect their children from it. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. You're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Pro America Report. This is Ryan Height stepping in for Mr. Ed Martin here again at the end of the show. Uh, that was a good one. Man, a couple of good interviews. Um, I know I feel like I always say that, but it's always true. <laughs> it just is. But today, uh, it was Scott McKay, really good uh, talk there. A.J. Rice, uh, the CEO of uh, Publius PR. Man, he was, a, he was a good one, too. Someone we uh, talk to frequently uh, as a publicist. But uh, it was really nice to talk to him on the show to hear from him. So I'm grateful for them joining us and uh, giving us some really good topics to talk about and think about and uh, i tell you what it's a lot those those are great interviews and a lot more intelligent than some of the things i'm reading in the news <laughs> we've got of course you know you you and i both know it's thanksgiving week so it's a little bit of a slow news week congress is uh, out of session people are cleared out from dc thank heavens am i right you know we're causing less trouble because nobody's there i mean maybe we could do this a few more weeks a year and i don't think you or i would complain about it but putting it aside i digress um it's a bit of a slow news week but i tell you what the news that has come up is just incredible Incredible. Some of the absolutely ridiculous things <laughs> that the left is doing, that Democrats are doing, instead of talking about all of these January 6th tapes, which, you know, it's, we've they've spent all of this time creating committees and select committees and subcommittees and documentaries and, and movie trailers for just how desperately horrific this day was, this insurrection. And yet all of the tapes come out and they go completely silent about it. And you have to wonder why. Well, I mean, you don't have to wonder why. You know why. It's because these tapes, just this raw, unedited footage shows pretty much exactly opposite of what they've been telling us for two years and trying to convince us of. So what are, what are, let's, let's take a look real quick. I just want you to understand some of the ridiculous headlines instead of, uh, covering Thanksgiving and the wonderful and, and rich history we have here in America the greatest and most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. Uh, and instead of talking about these January 6 tapes, which is actually newsworthy, you know, information that has come out uh, in just the last few days, what are we talking about here? Well, uh, of course, uh, Joe Biden is uh, going to war against our gas furnaces now, not just gas stoves, gas furnaces. And and sure enough, you know, we couldn't get the stove thing done. So, so we're coming around to the furnaces. This is incredible um, to see. I've got an article here in front of me from from, uh, PJ Media talking about how Democrats are starting to uh, move into new uh, rounds of releasing tax dollars to try to boost production of electric heat pumps. We need to move to electric heat pumps uh, and, and this this flimsy green agenda, which we've we've had such eloquent guests on talking about how the the, the sham of green energy and quote unquote improving efficiency is neither efficient nor an improvement. Uh, so that that's happening, but of course it wouldn't be a complete week uh, without Pete Buttigieg, apparently still running for president. He used his uh, pre-Thanksgiving travel news conference to bash extremist Republicans and shame them into, you know, scaring people. And every time that they have a a proposal that they're on the cusp of right now, threatening to reverse all of the progress we've made in funding the Department of Transportation, it's it's, it's like he thinks he's still running for president, I guess, because his entire pre-Thanksgiving travel news conference was about the evil extremist Republicans. It's it's quite funny, especially from someone who is, I think, at this point, widely laughed at as one of the most ineffective cabinet uh, heads, maybe you know, aside from Mayorkas. Although the Department of Justice, you know, that's this probably a competition. I think we're all grateful we're not in. Right. The cabinet secretaries at this point for who the, the race to the bottom, who's the worst. Um, but you turn over to uh, you know, and speaking of that. 
uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, who uh, unfortunately the House failed to impeach last week, thanks to eight Republicans who did not send that through, but instead slow walked it back to a committee. Uh, he has ordered this week that Customs and Border Patrol agents not misgender illegal aliens uh, with the incorrect pronouns. We have to check with the pronouns of the incoming uh, folks who've broken the law and make sure we don't hurt anyone's feelings or offend anyone. These are the things that our cabinet secretaries are worried about instead of getting their jobs done. This is just the extent of derelict duty that we are facing down in federal government. And I mean, I I look at it and say, well, where where are the headlines? I mean, even some of the mainstream news has to admit how ridiculous and how follyful these things are. Follyful? Is that a word? Can we make that a word? Am I allowed to make words on Thanksgiving week? Follyful, full of folly? Uh, Well, we're going to run with that, okay? You and I are going to run with that, and you're going to help me make this a thing in in discussing the cabinet of Joe Biden. we have this follyful cabinet, and even the mainstream news, I mean, they're doing their best to avoid it. Uh, it's incredible. It's trying to avoid the January 6th tapes, trying to avoid all the ridiculous things coming out of the cabinet this week. It's uh, really probably an incredible two-step that's going on, some elaborate dance moves over there in the mainstream news for them to try to avoid all of these issues, and yet there it is. But, uh, you know, you look at Congress, it's not much better. Uh, Rashida Tlaib is still a uh, representative, still making uh, her all of her appearances at pro-Hamas rallies. They call them cease fire rallies, but um, it doesn't look very ceasefire-y when you get there and kind of see what's going on. It's just, it is a ridiculous uh, dog and pony show to watch the left dance around what's actually happening, what we talked about in the wink today, the what you need to know, following the evidence. Instead, we have to manufacture all of these things. It's really just incredible. And um, as we are looking down the barrel of all of those things going on and all of the ridiculous, follyful uh, executive um, antics... It's a good time to just take a deep breath and remind ourselves that as much as we have faced in this nation, as much as we are facing now, we have nonetheless received incredible blessings of freedom and liberty and prosperity from the Almighty. Through all of these years, through war-torn times, uh, both abroad and here in our own uh, nation, on our own soil, uh, through the ridiculous antics and the growth of government, through all of these things, all of these bad plans of man, uh, God has carved out a good plan for so many of us here in America for our nation itself, and it is something worth fighting for. It is something worth celebrating and looking back on. I'm glad we get to do that. So let these ridiculous things in the news be an encouragement to be all the more thankful for the good things that we have this week on Thanksgiving. That's my wrap-up for you today. Uh, Go over to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for the email list, get all of this podcast standalones and the links, and don't forget to come back tomorrow for another edition here of the Pro America Report. Thank you to Ed for leading the show, to Mason, my co-producer. Thank you to you for listening, and we will see you back here on the Pro America Report tomorrow. Have a good night, everybody. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.